going to walk through Ezra chapters 1 through 6 today and um, do our normal format um, after we had that break last week with the overview. Um, so uh, I think we're going, just because we've got six chapters to roll through, we'll just go ahead and dive in. Um, but before I do that, um, Elizabeth and Sherry, did y'all have any quick takeaways uh, just from the first section from one through six that stood out to you. You go ahead. Okay. All right. Um, I guess all the like legal documents that are contained in this, mm -hmm. I thought were really interesting how you have um, the different decrees. So Cyrus, and then you have these letters back and forth from the exiles that have returned and the officials and whoever's king in Persia at that time, mm -hmm. where there's a lot of like bureaucracy and red tape to this that would drive me insane mm -hmm. and would also be very hard with that level of communication. And I think since it would have been so hard to communicate back with Persia and get all the resources, it's just a really admirable thing that they're doing to make sure they're putting the temple together back right. Mm -hmm. That's good. Sharing anything? Um, so what impressed me, especially lately, because after studying all this, then I... Um, went to Bob Waldron, always a good source, <laughs> and um, um, read through um, my um, his his um, notes on a remnant shall return, which the pages are falling out, so you can see I've gone to it a lot. Um, <clears throat> so um, I didn't think of this at the time that I was reading it. Um, but um, I, mean, I was concentrating on sort of the structure of it and on, on what happened and the, on the lists and, and those kinds of things. And um, so, you know, you have the, the, the structure where it's a chiastic structure where you have the, it starts with, with a, with a uh, feast, ends with a feast. In the middle is Haggai and Zachariah's uh, encouragement. And then you have things building up to that and things going back away from that. And, but what, what um, the light that Bob Waldron was able to, to shine on this for me was that, so you had the two letters. You had the one letter where they sent the letter back and then the king said, okay, stop. You have to stop the building. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what, that's what the people of the land wanted. They mm -hmm. wanted them to stop the building. Um, but according to Bob Waldron, um, the, the Tad and I, who was the... Um, governor at the time under Darius. So after, you know, the, the building had stopped and, and uh, they, were, they were getting it back started again before they even really got permission. Um, he saw that going on and he said, uh, and so it seems like, it seemed like at first that they, that it was just a repeat of the time before where they sent a letter saying, hey, do they have the authority to build this? But according to Bob Waldron, Tad and I was just trying to find out what was going on and if it was okay for them to be doing this. Right. Because the letter that he sent back was a lot more like, just tell me what to do here. Mm -hmm. um, and it didn't leave anything out. Like the first letter had left out the part where Cyrus <coughs> said you should build the temple. Mm -hmm. um, and but But Tad and I's letter actually... Um, didn't say anything derogatory about the people, didn't say these are rebellious people and yada yada and this is the history. He basically said, you know, this is what they're saying. 
And they're saying there's a decree. I'm just trying to find out if there is actually a decree and if this is going to be okay. Yeah. Um, so um, that's what um, that was just my latest take on that. And 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 I I had thought that so after after they were encouraged by Haggai and Zechariah that there was still the the matching structure, but that it had more hope involved because. Mm -hmm. The the first half of it leads up to them not them stopping the right the building of the temple. The second half leads to them actually getting the temple done. Yeah. And so, um, so um, anyway, that's what that's the latest thing that I learned about it that I that I hadn't thought of before. Yeah. Um, and then I went back and read the letter, and I thought, well, you know, I mean, he's basically saying this is what they're saying. Is this okay? Right. Yeah. Very different tenor mm -hmm. yeah. than the first. Yeah. Good. Um, <clears throat> my only takeaway first section, um, I guess in comparison to the latter section, is uh, a lot of what Elizabeth has brought back. It's just a lot more um, tedious. I don't want to say tedious, but there's just legalities, mm -hmm. you know, a lot heavier in this first section. And that, to me, is... Um, so impressive uh, when you look at, it to, again, it seems hope-filled because they are being so purposeful in um, how they're going about things, the preciseness of, you know, here are the people that are coming back, and just, to me, so such a stark contrast to when everything fell apart with Jeremiah. It's like things are starting to be mended again is what, uh, kind of the message that I've took from first six chapters is is we're headed in the right direction um okay and just so so many times we say you know it's the heart that counts and that is correct but um it just seems cover to cover in scriptures where your heart is is revealed through your actions and your obedience. And I feel like, again, that's where Ezra really shines, the book of Ezra in general, but in particular these first several chapters of being careful with the particulars. And then, of course, at the end where, you know, you've got the divorces happening because mm -hmm. they're, they're making amends with God. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right, so I think that's enough of that. Let's dive in. I'll do the first chapter, and then we'll pull chapter by chapter. All right, Ezra chapter 1. Now in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, All the kingdoms of the earth the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. And whoever is left in any place where he dwells, let the men of his place help him with silver and gold, with goods and livestock, besides the freewill offerings for the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. Then the heads of the fathers' houses of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites, with all whose spirits God had moved, arose to go up and build the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. 
And all those who were around them encouraged them with articles of silver and gold, with goods and livestock, livestock, and with precious things besides all that was willingly offered. King Cyrus also brought out the articles of the house of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken from Jerusalem and put in the temple of his gods. And Cyrus, king of Persia, brought them out by the hand of Mithridath, the treasurer, and counted them out to Sheshbazar, the prince of Judah. This is the number of them, 30 gold platters, 1,000 silver platters, 29 knives, 30 gold basins, 410 silver basins of a similar kind, and 1,000 other articles. All the articles of gold and silver were 5,400. All these Sheshbazar took with the captives who were brought from Babylon to Jerusalem. Okay. Um, so, Sherry, would you like to get us started on chapter one? Okay, so um, uh, this is this, uh, the the entire chapter one, chapter two are um, are uh, cover the first unit. If we're going to look at the at the at the poetic or literary structure of it, so. It, the unit includes Cyrus's decree, the temple furnishings collected, and the list of returnees. Well, chapter two is the list of returnees. Mm -hmm. And so chapter one is A and B, which is Cyrus's decree, verses one through four, and the temple furnishings that are collected in verses five uh, through 11, which is to the end of the chapter. Um, um, everything inventoried um, impresses me. I, I, I haven't compared it to other lists of things, you know, that they took out of the temple and whether they match up or not, probably not, but but possibly like we've talked about before when we were talking about um, when we're talking uh, about uh, Jeremiah, uh, is that um, they probably replaced some of them. So uh, Nebuchadnezzar came in, took this many things, well, and then and then he came back and took this many things, so. It's possible that he took everything that was of value, and then they kind of sort of replaced it over the next few years. Um, most of it with lesser valuable things, more silver and bronze things than gold. Um, so, but it's just impressive to me that they they made an exact accounting of all the stuff, mm -hmm. and that Cyrus said, "Okay, here's all the stuff," and appointed someone to to count it out and go, okay, there's a thousand of these, there's 30 of these, there's 410 of these. Um, uh, that impresses me that, that he was concerned with making sure I'm giving you back all the stuff that mm -hmm. I have. Yeah, that you are able mm -hmm. to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. What about you? Yeah, I think to that same end about the concern that and the precise accounting of all the things that have been carried mm -hmm. out in the temple... I think this just shows um, Cyrus's respect for God and God's people and the things of his house. Mm -hmm. Because we talked about when we were doing the overview that it was Belshazzar who's taking the implements of the temple and just using them for his parties. And you're mm -hmm. like, ooh, look at this. We got cups from the temple. This is so cool. Um, and overall, it's really, um, I guess, just refreshing to see like a pagan king... Um, Recognizing God's power, power and God's authority, especially in verse 
um, two that's talking about how recognizing that God has given him all this and has given him the kingdom. And so because God has given him this authority, he's going to send his people back. And I think that's um, not to sound like too yeah, using slang or anything, but that was really cool of him <laughs> to go and do that. Like, I don't want to be flippant about this, mm-hmm. but it was just um, a really, really admirable way to treat this, whereas the kings before him had been really blatantly disrespectful of both God and mm-hmm. the, like, sacred implements. Well, mm-hmm. to me, it, it it's like a juxtaposition when you see how he responds versus someone like Pharaoh, mm-hmm. where God will use him either way. Mm-hmm. But it is it is a much better look for mm-hmm. Cyrus when he is mm-hmm. the kind of person that says, yes, I do recognize that this has all come from. And I, I do wonder, it's something I want to ask Seth about, because <clears throat> I know he has the uh, reputation of whatever nation is around him, like, oh, yeah, I like these gods. Or, you know, I mean, he was very amiable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do wonder, you know, the wording here, if in God's stirring you know, him, if that was the message of, I have blessed you with this. And he says, okay, you've blessed me with it, you know, mm-hmm. and yeah. I accept that, you know, as opposed yeah. to who are you kind of thing. Yeah. So, Countess, was there anything from chapter one that you wanted to pull out? I, I think it's very interesting to notice that <clears throat> Cyrus uh, learned from those, I'm going to put it that he learned from, from the kings and all before him, because, mm-hmm. I mean, he could have you know, not accepted this God, and he could have, you know, had to be humble like Nebuchadnezzar was, but mm-hmm. um, he seemed to have learned, okay, you know what, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, this is God. And I, I, I think it's interesting the, the way that the Holy Spirit words it to say, um, the, the Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to be him, to build him, a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judea. So um, we know that this, what we realize is that he's saying that God is telling him to do this, and we realize, we realize that he's, um, because he's in Cyrus, the one in charge, you're the king, so he's going to be able to let those go back to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I thought about how it said, how he's even telling them who is there among you of all his people, uh, and whoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let that man of his place help him with silver and with gold. And I wasn't sure if that was talking about being that you didn't have everybody that actually went back to Babylon. I thought that was just like, okay. I mean, you, mm-hmm. you know that, but then as you, it's like, okay, y'all had the choice and y'all chose to stay mm-hmm. instead of going to the place that. God has already prepared for or where you came from but anyway mm-hmm. but anyway I thought that interesting that he even saying and wondering if verse 3 is talking about those who did not go back you know or didn't mm-hmm. maybe they went and helped with the with the building of the temple right. but then did not actually go back to live and stay so mm-hmm. I wondered if maybe that was what he was talking about he was saying even those you know, I mean, help those out. Yeah, you can, you yeah. Know, if you're not going to go, then you can help out. <clears throat> yeah, it's a big contribution. So. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot in that with the free will offerings and um, uh, mm-hmm. mentioning of, of those kind of things. It, questions in my mind that, you know, I'm you know, not wanting to take a lot of time to dive in those, but just personally, 
um, you know, makes me go back to wondering about how they conducted themselves apart from Jerusalem if, you know, they were still practicing things like free will offerings. And I'm assuming they don't have a place to do things like sacrifices, you know, mm-hmm. while they're in captivity or anyway, but though just questions that come up in my mind that hopefully, you know, more mm-hmm. study, not just in Ezra, but you know, Nehemiah, all the contemporary, if we can get any answers to that, I don't know, but it may be something that, you know, I just <laughs> don't get my answer to, but that's okay. Um, I mean, like the Cyrus thing I, that won't have an answer, you know, how mm-hmm. exactly God worded it, but Anyway, I think that's part of my difficulty in when I'm first studying through a book is way more questions than mm-hmm. observations. And mm-hmm. anyway, hopefully that lessens with time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll we'll not getting bogged down in the book. Yes, yeah. right, because it's so easy to yeah. get distracted by things that may or may not be answered. So anyway, okay, uh, we'll jump into two, so maybe we can get in our hour mark. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm not going to pick old Countess because she's our guest so we won't be rude um but i will pick on elizabeth because she's young still so um elizabeth (laughs) i'm gonna have these names (laughs) i'm gonna have you go through let's see where we got 70 if you'll go through just um 35 and then i'll pick up the rest okay all right oh excuse me Now these were the people of the province who came up out of the captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried captive to Babylonia. They returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each his own town. They came with Zerubbabel, Joshua, Nehemiah, Sariah, Reeliah, Mordecai, Bilshan, Mispar, Bigvi, Briam, and Bana, the number of the men of the people of Israel. The sons of Parosh, 2,172. The sons of Shephatiah, 372. The sons of Era, 775. The sons of Pahath uh, Moab, namely the sons of Jeshua and Joab, 2,812. The sons of Elam, 1,254. The sons of Zatu, 945. The sons of Zakai, 760. The sons of Bani, 642. The sons of Bibai, 623. The sons of Asgad, 1,222. The sons of Adonikam, 666. The sons of Bigvi, 2,056. The sons of Aden, 454. The sons of Ader, namely of Hezekiah, 98. The sons of Bezai, 323. The sons of Joram, 112. The sons of Hashem, 223. The sons of Gibar, 95. The sons of Bethlehem, 123. The men of Nidopha, 56. The men of Anathoth, 128. The sons of Asmaveth, 42. The sons of Kiriath Aram, Shafira, and Biroth, 743. The sons of Rama and Geba, 621. The men of Michmas, 122. The men of Bethel and Ai, 223. The sons of Nebo, 52. The sons of Magvish, 156. The sons of the other Elam, 1,254. The sons of Harim, 320. The sons of Lod, Hadid, and Ono, 725. 
The sons of Jericho, 345. The sons of Sina, 3,630. The priest, the sons of Jediah, those of the house of Jeshua, 973. The sons of Emmer, 1,052. The sons of Pashur, 1,247. The sons of Haram, 1,017. The Levites, the sons of Jeshua, and Cadmiel of the sons of Hodaviah, 74. The singers, the sons of Asaph, 128. The sons of the gatekeepers, <clears throat> the sons of Shalom, the sons of Atter, the sons of Talmon, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hatita, and the sons of Shaboai, 139 in all. The Nethanim, the sons of Ziha, <clears throat> the sons of Hasufa, the sons of Taboeth, the sons of Keras, the sons of Siaha, the sons of Padan, the sons of Lebanon, the sons of Hagabah, the sons of Akub, the sons of Hagab, the sons of Shalmai, the sons of Hanan, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Gehar, the sons of Rehiah, the sons of Rezin, the sons of Nakoda, the sons of Gazem, the sons of Uzzah, the sons of Pasea, the sons of Basai, the sons of Esna, the sons of Menunim, the sons of Nephusim, the sons of Bakbuk, the sons of Hakapha, the sons of Harhar, the sons of Bazlav, the sons of Mahida, the sons of Harsha, the sons of Barcos, the sons of Sisera, the sons of Tama, the sons of Naziah, the sons of Hatipha, the sons of Solomon's servants, the sons of Sotiah, the sons of Sophereth, the sons of Peruda, the sons of Jaela, the sons of Darkan, the sons of Gedel, the sons of Shephatiah, the sons of Hatil, the sons of Pokereth, the sons of Zebiam, the sons of Ami, the Neth all the Nethanim, and the children of Solomon's servants were three hundred and ninety-two. And these were the ones who came from Tel Malah, Tel Harsha, Cherub, Adan, and Immer. But they could not identify their father's house or their genealogy, whether they were of Israel, the sons of Deliah, the sons of Tobiah, and the sons of Nakoda, 652. And of the sons of the priests, the sons of Habiah, the sons of Koz, the sons of Barzillai, who took a wife of the daughters of Barzillai the Gileadite, and was called by their name. <clears throat> These sought their listing among those who were registered by genealogy, but they were not found. Therefore, they were excluded from the priesthood as defiled. And the governor said to them that they should not eat of the most holy things till a priest could consult with the Urim and Thummim. The whole assembly together was 42,360 besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337, 7, and they had 200 men and women singers. Their horses were 736, their mules 245, their camels 435, and their donkeys 6,720. Some of the heads of the fathers' houses, when they came to the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem, offered freely for the house of God to erect it in its place. According to their ability, they gave to the treasury for the work 61,000 gold drachmas, 5,000 minas of silver, 
and 100 priestly garments. So the priests and the Levites, some of the people, the singers, the gatekeepers, and the Nethamim, dwelt in their cities and all in Israel in their cities. Okay, Elizabeth, would you like to get us started? And well done. It's like you mm-hmm. practiced. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm impressed. Really? <laughs> yeah, so one thing I did not do beforehand um, was to look more into the names, and I don't have my Bible with all the good footnotes, <clears throat> um, but the thing that stood out most to me um, just within the names that were named were the men of Anathoth, which is just fresh on my mind because of Jeremiah. Mm-hmm. And those would be the people from Jeremiah's hometown. Um, but beyond that, I think the important thing to take out of this is how meticulous they were being about their genealogies. Mm-hmm. And if you just kind of look at that and be like, okay, they know who their great-grandparents or whatever were. Okay, sure. Um but it makes a lot more sense when you get down to them talking about the priesthood. And then it's really important because they're making sure that these are the men that are qualified to serve. Mm-hmm. Which, um, again, just speaks to the meticulousness of this whole process. Where they are, I, I'm going to beat this horse to death by the time we're done. <laughs> but just making sure they're doing things the right way. Like they really have learned their lesson from captivity mm-hmm. and are dedicated to making sure they're serving God the right way. Um, and I also didn't look into how many people left, mm-hmm. like were taken out of Israel into captivity. So it might just be interesting to see how many people left versus how many people came back. And like, if you have to think about the population growth that happened while they were gone, um, it would just be interesting to see how many people decided to go back to the homeland Versus how many just stayed in Persia, which I think would be really, really interesting. I guess the only other thing that I wanted to talk about was I had to look up Urim and Thummim because mm-hmm. I didn't know what that was. Yeah. And even mm-hmm. after looking it up, I'm you not still entirely have. sure. <laughs> yeah. But I think what it what it seemed to me and Sherry, you probably mm-hmm. know a lot more about this, is like they were like stones and you mm-hmm. would consult if. Usually it was if someone was innocent or guilty, I right. think, mm-hmm. or like true or false kind of thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Things like that, like that and casting lots are mm-hmm. kind of fuzzy to me. Like, how is that a legit practice? But yeah. <laughs> right. Maybe. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, something that I think we would slap a label of uh, almost witchcraft-esque or whatever mm-hmm. because of the appearance of it. But obviously... Um, with them doing it in these this context, it is a divine thing. Mm-hmm. But I think there's, it, to me, where the fuzzy part comes in is you've got uh, people that would be condemned for doing similar things, but call, like almost blasphemy, calling it God's will when mm-hmm. it's just, you know, their will. But, oh, this is, you know. But it is, I mean, I do feel like that's something that, <clears throat> and and to a degree, rightly so, would shy away from talking about things like, you know, casting a lot today and saying this is God's will because we we can't call that for sure like they would do here where they were given this instruction to do it this way. So anyway, I'm glad you brought that up because that that has come up multiple times in other contexts too. Anyway, Thomas. That's one of those things, remembering the, the things that, um, the way God practiced the way things did then. I mean, 
In times past, God spoke to the prophets by the way of the sons, but now in these last days. Um, mm -hmm. And so hence, he used that way, whether it was casting lots or the urine and thumbing, mm -hmm. in order to show what his will was. And <clears throat> like you say, now, we... We can't do that today and claim that that's God's will. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, but you have those who would and do, and to a point, those who even say that God is even speaking to them today now verbally. So he wasn't even speaking to them verbally. Right. You know, so that mm -hmm. just wasn't the way he was doing it. So, but I thought that interesting too when I had looked up in times past about uh, the urine and the thumbing and finding mm -hmm. out what it was. I, I found that to be mm -hmm. very interesting and one it led to talking about where because when they did the the breast the breastplate of mm -hmm. the priest mm -hmm. and they had the the urine the mm -hmm. thumb and then they then went on that breastplate became one that they start worshiping you right. know? yeah and also hence we see other reasons why god doesn't allow you know don't make any graven images mm -hmm. you're going to worship it mm -hmm. you know it's going that's going to be your god mm -hmm. now instead of mm -hmm. instead of me so mm -hmm. And just one more thing off of uh, one other thing you said, Elizabeth, mm -hmm. that I appreciated is, you know, learning their lesson. And I do, I, mm -hmm. it makes you wonder that, quote, separation from God, you mm -hmm. know, to a degree at least, you know, where you have been kicked out of the promised land, mm -hmm. <clears throat> where you do, it, to me, it makes it a, a deeper appreciation for these people coming back that, mm -hmm. no, let's make sure we are doing this correctly. And it kind of makes me think of, you know, two different versions of like uh, a husband who, you know, has cheated on his wife, you know, he can come back and act like it's no big deal. Well, that's never going to be a healed relationship or he can come back and say, I've got to, I've got to repair this and I've got to approach this appropriately. And I feel like that's the people of Israel coming back is, mm -hmm. We need to do this appropriately. We have messed up, and we've got to come back correctly. Um, and just one, this this will not answer your question, but it may get you started on the numbers. When you, the, when they left, we know that it was, what, 603,550? Is that correct? Just me. Yeah. Well, I think that was the total leaving. Oh, you're talking about this time? Yeah. No, no, no. Like, when they left for captivity, that was the, the number taken. Right. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Okay. Now, that doesn't answer your question about once they came back, how many, mm -hmm. you know, came back versus how many stayed. I, I have no idea on that yeah. or if we're told. Plus but, it was 70 years. And right. Yeah. And grandkids. And but to me, what that does say, though, is what, 42,000 something, is that mm -hmm. the number we were just mm -hmm. given? What a vast difference. Mm -hmm. And that is heartbreaking to me. Whenever you read through and you say, like, when you go back and you compare, like, you've got in the hundreds and you have a couple of, in the thousands when you gain all these together versus when they were leaving 42,000, 52, you know, and mm -hmm. such bigger numbers. And now, like, you know, Bob Waldron's, but well, mm -hmm. like the scriptures say, the remnant mm -hmm. has returned. Mm -hmm. And it, there's, there's a beautiful thing in the hope, but there's also a sadness in, this is not who we used to be. You know, we mm -hmm. used to be, right. God had blessed us to be this great nation. Mm -hmm. Now we just have to come crawling back and hope that he will Barely take us. Yeah. The city. Yeah. So, <coughs> so sad. Anyway. Oh, sorry. No, I'm just going to say it's kind of a, um, 
reminder to us also that understand even though you're God's chosen people, he well, the people of God, he's still going to give you a choice. Mm -hmm. You may be his, but whether or not, you, you know, you want to be a part of his is a different ball game. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and so hence uh, those who didn't or they, you know, it's like, mm, but I don't want to go there. I want to be here. You know, and I thought it impressive what you were saying as far as that they were being meticulous because we can think about how easy it would have been or easier for them to, it would have been to just say, well, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Y'all have been serving as priests. You've been doing this. You've been doing that. So, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it, we just really need to just go ahead mm -hmm. and, yeah. and let y'all continue. You've been doing working. a good job. Right. I mean, you know, we know you good people. That would have been a whole lot easier to say, if y'all can't prove who you are mm -hmm. I'm sorry we can't we can't take you in okay mm -hmm. because God says no God says we can't we are not fixing to upset him again Sherry what did you have from that chapter um, so it basically the, all the things that you that uh, that you all have covered um, I I was interested in Barzillai, because I thought, okay, I've heard of Barzillai before. Mm -hmm. Barzillai the Gileadite. Mm -hmm. So I look it up. Mm -hmm. Okay, so uh, uh, and and uh, so on some of these names, it's like, well, it could be just a different guy, and it was the same name. But I think this is the same line. It's not the guy, but it's the line of people uh, because it says Barzillai the Gileadite. And um, if you go back to Second um, Samuel. When David was leaving Jerusalem because his son had taken over and they were basically all fleeing for their lives, uh, 2 Samuel chapter 19, uh, verse 31 says, Barzillai the Gileadite had come down from Rogalim and he went on with the king to the Jordan to escort him over the Jordan. So here's a guy, he's helping to escort the king over the Jordan River. Uh, verse 32 says, Barzillai was a very aged man, 80 years old. So he's escorting the king over the Jordan River, and he's the one who needs to be escorted. He's 80 <laughs> years old. He had provided the king with food while he stayed at Mahanam, for he was a very wealthy man. And then um, in verse 33, the king then, when um, when he when the king comes back, he says, uh, Come over with me, and I will provide for, for you with me in Jerusalem. And Barzillai says, How many years have I still to live that I should go up with the king to Jerusalem? So he's basically saying, Look, you're the king. Uh, I'm just going to stay here, and you, you go on. And, um, and it, then in verse 39, it says, Then all the people went over the Jordan, and the king went over, and the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him and returned to his own home. Then... Um, uh, later, uh, he gives Solomon the um, uh, the charge to, in First Kings chapter two: uh, deal loyally with the sons of Barzillai the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table. For with such loyalty they met me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And um, uh, so, so it's just impressive to me that. Barzillai himself, and so this is like a long time ago. Mm -hmm. So these people are not Barzillai. These are the right. descendants of Barzillai, 
uh, hundreds of years later, uh, they're still counting themselves with the faithful mm -hmm. of Israel. And even though they can't prove that they're, that they're from the priestly lineage, they're still coming back with the people and they're still loyal to, um, to their, their king. I'm so glad you looked that up because that, mm -hmm. that stuck out to me, but I thought I have no idea why mm -hmm. that sounds familiar, but mm -hmm. thank you. That is really, that is very beautiful to see. It makes see. me think about the, the scripture that says, um, and if people even mean it when you hear them say it today, I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than mm -hmm. the dwelling tents of the wicked, really. Yeah. Will you Do you want to be a doorkeeper even if you can't be right. the priest as the you priest. were before? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? So right. is it that important? Okay, all right, we're going to head into chapter 3, and uh, let's see. Countess, do you mind reading chapter 3 for us? <clears throat> and when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then st stood up Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his basis, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the custom, as the duty of every day required. And afterward offered the continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and of all the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and of every one that willingly offered a free will offering unto the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord. But the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. They gave money also unto the masons and to the carpenters, and meat and drink and oil unto them of Zidon and to them of Tyre, to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea of Joppa, according to the grant that they had of Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month begins Zerubbabel the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem, and appointed the Levites from twenty years old and upward to set forth the work of the house of the Lord. Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren, Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together to set forth the workmen in the house of God, the sons of Hinnadad, when their sons and their brethren, with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by chorus in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout, when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. 
so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people, for the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Okay, thank you. Okay, so <clears throat> this to me, and I, Sherry, correct me if I'm wrong here, but this seems like the, um, oh, what do you call this? The crescendo, but there's another word you use for it. The what? I say crescendo, but that's not the right word. The oh oh um, oh yeah yeah the sort of the the peak or whatever yeah there's a there's a more eloquent yeah. eloquent yeah. word for that but yeah. this yeah. is this is such a beautiful yeah it is chapter and mm -hmm. I really appreciate just the the building up to and then you know as mm -hmm. we will see coming away just the structure mm -hmm. that you pointed out many mm -hmm. times um, where you've got the culmination of people coming back to the Lord and this is the first order of business um, so to speak uh, to tend to is being able to worship God mm -hmm. correctly you know to do it well um, so we've got you know all the the accounting of the things the accounting of the people mm -hmm. and then in this one we have the actual restoration of the temple where um, in verse 11 the and I say this is a reference to you know but uh, just a little excerpt from Psalm 136 where uh, you've got mine says I like the way it words it's saying responsively mm -hmm. you know where you've yeah. got you know one section saying um, saying the first part and the the <coughs> other section saying for his mercy mm -hmm. endures forever mm -hmm. um, and I, that's just the whole Psalm 136 is so beautiful and if you've ever heard someone do a you know call and response with that it is just it's impressive to think of you know how that would sound with mm -hmm. 200 people singing that you know to one another mm -hmm. um but then you know at the the end of that section or that chapter where you've got the voices raising and you don't know which ones are weeping and which ones are shouting for joy mm -hmm. um and that's such a again just from the overview it is such a mixed emotions mm -hmm. I think uh, on this day a, a wonderful day but it's very bittersweet I feel like for so many people um, that that have the memory um, and again you know you Elizabeth you pointed this out you know on the chapter 2 you're going through all these genealogies and I, I do think we can hear that and think well this seems like the most boring thing who would want to be present for this but to put your yourself into their shoes and to hear your family walked through and the importance of that mm -hmm. not only um, you know for the Levites which is you know sort of the utmost importance in dealing with that chapter but just your like you were pointing out Countess just to know you are within that family mm -hmm. regardless of the Levitical you know mm -hmm. status is I mean it is a thrilling thing because that's where your hope rests is that you are with the Lord um, and you know of course that's the lesson for us is is that where our hope is you know is that where our heart beats strongest is is our name written in the Lamb's Book of Life and I do feel like you know we can just so easily breeze through that but that I feel like that is part of the point is is your name written here? You know, are you counted as one of them? So anyway, sorry, went off a little tangent there. Mm -hmm. um, 
Sherry, what did you have for a three? Um, so they start off with um, they they start off with building an altar so that they can offer burnt offerings. They don't start off with building their own houses. They don't start off with uh, even laying the foundation for the temple because they know that's going to take some time. Uh, they want to start off doing what it is they need to be doing right away. Um, it says that um, in verse 3, they set the altar in its place for fear was on them because of the people of the land and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. So because of their fear of the people of the land, they didn't like fortify their armies. They went to God and mm -hmm. said, we're afraid of these people of the land. You're the only way that we can be protected from this. Right. Um, and so completely the opposite, and we talked about this last time, completely opposite from what they had done before when they were going into captivity. Mm -hmm. God was saying, it's okay, I'm going to protect you. And they were like, no, we're going to go ahead and fortify our military. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so that impresses me. Also, um, uh, they started off with, so why would they start off with the Feast of Booths? Um, I think it's because they, that's what time of year it was. Mm -hmm. And they were trying to do everything by the book, like they were supposed to do. Mm -hmm. So why didn't they um, go for the Feast of the Passover? because it wasn't that time of year and they weren't supposed to observe the Feast of the Passover in the seventh month. Mm -hmm. They were supposed to observe the Feast of Booths in the seventh month. So mm -hmm. they were like, okay, well, seventh month, we can do the Feast of Booths because we're already living in tents anyway. So, you know, that works. <laughs> right. and, and, um, and, and they didn't have all the stuff in the temple to do some of the other things. They just, they observed the, the feasts and the offerings that they were supposed to, that they could actually do. Right. And so... Um, so that's it. it's part of the structure of the book, but it's also, it was the seventh month, and so they observed the Feast of Booths because that's what you do in the seventh month. And they, I'm guessing they hadn't been doing that prior. Mm -hmm. um, and so, um, and, and we know, you know, when they observe the Passover, it's like this is the first time they've observed the Passover in a long time. And so um, uh, uh, it, it's impressive to me that they, that they their focus at the beginning, their focus was on, okay, we're coming back here to reestablish Judaism and to reestablish our devotion to God and all the other stuff is going to come later. <laughs> and so they were putting their priorities, like seeking me first. They're seeking God first. We're going to seek God first. We're going to observe the, path, the, the, the the feasts that we're supposed to observe at the time we're supposed to observe. And we're going to do all the burnt offerings that we're supposed to do. And then all the other stuff will come. Yeah. Very good. All right, Elizabeth, what else? Yeah, I definitely think that it is important that they set up the altar first. And we see other times in the Bible where, um, like I know in the introduction you talked about Noah, when they get off the ark, the first thing they do is they build an altar. Or like... I believe the first thing they do when they cross the Jordan to enter the land was build an altar. Um, so just kind of continuing in this tradition of, oh, we're in a new place. We're in, well, a new place, quote unquote. Um, I realize the air quotes aren't going to translate to podcast. Um, <laughs> but they're in a new place. They're starting kind of like a new phase in their lives almost. That they're um, 
really trusting in God and emphasizing that, okay, this is what we need to do. We are putting our trust in God to protect us from the foreign nations, like we talked about. Um, another thing that I pulled out that I thought was really cool, I was looking back to the, dedic- uh, the building and the dedication of the original temple a lot through these chapters, mm-hmm. and how in both cases they are trying to get the best material to build God's house. So, mm-hmm. especially like the the cedars from Lebanon that was like really world renowned at that time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really interesting that they're like, oh yeah, we got these trees from this place and that means nothing to us today. But if you look back, it's like, oh, they got the good stuff. Yeah. They built this with like the <laughs> right. good trees. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, illustrating the seriousness and the gravity with which they were treating this. They were making sure to get the good stuff. They're not just mm-hmm. slapping things together. Like, oh, we need a temple. We gotta put something together. No, we're gonna take the time to make sure that this is done correctly and done with the utmost respect mm-hmm. and reverence. Um, and to that same end, I thought it was really cool that they had the Levites supervise because as, you know, the priests and stuff, they were supposed to know the law really well, but also the history. Mm-hmm. And so they could say, hey, this is how God want, wanted the original temple to be built. We're going to do that as closely to that as possible mm-hmm. and making sure everything was as specified. And again, it would have been super easy to tell the builders, like, hey, just put something together. Yeah. You know, we just mm-hmm. need a temple. Um, but I think it really does show a change of heart and a true dedication that they were going to spend the time and the resources and the oversight to make sure everything was done properly. And then I guess just the last thing was that that last little bit about the mixed emotions really got me about how the people who had seen the first temple probably would have been like small children when they left and then, um, or probably very old now that they're seeing the foundations built and how just difficult and emotional like there would have been lots of mixed emotions like yeah this isn't as good as the first temple was but the the nation has turned back to god so there's there's pluses and minuses Mm -hmm. to weigh with that but that just kind of stuck with me that oh yeah there were people that would have lived through all of this and while this is a very happy time it's not ever gonna live up to the country under like Solomon mm-hmm. right and I think it wasn't just that, that okay this is it's like they saw this it, it, didn't, it wasn't even comparable mm-hmm. it was like this this new temple was not even comparable mm-hmm. you know even the foundation it was like, it's like this this is this is not even comparable even with them doing the best of the best that they right. could do right it was like it wasn't even comparable and hence, so they wept, but the, mm-hmm. the ones who, they're obviously more of the, you know, the mm-hmm. younger people there, those new coming up than there were the older ones, and so that drowned out the other, but of course, they were still, but one is still, are you pleasing God? <laughs> so yeah. You live, so. Why did you? <laughs> well, and it just, it puts you in the mind frame of, you know, other circumstances where you know you do you have that that sort of generate almost generational difference of someone who will look on the same event mm-hmm. and while they can be happy you know that that's transpiring 
but there is still this it could be better you know it, it, we could have gone a different route you know just that knowledge and that mm-hmm. perspective mm-hmm. and I do I think I mean that is to me and you know I get kidded about this a lot just being born an old woman but to me that is what is so beautiful about experience and the and older generations that have lived through more than I have is I know they I know they know so much more and they have so much more perspective than I have at this point and that's not you know that's not to say there's you know a dampening on youth or anything like that I glance over at Elizabeth but but to say that it is so helpful for younger generations to look to the older generations and say how are you viewing this through your eyes because you know because then you can begin that conversation of here's what I wish we would have learned you know Mm -hmm. so that we could have continued in that instead of having to be ripped away and then brought back and now it's just that will always be in my mind you know that there Mm -hmm. will it will never but anyway but the, the positive side to that is now they have things to teach those younger generations about make sure you don't repeat what we did, you know, and that's a beautiful thing where you've got the generational and I do I think that's the way God has planned in his wisdom and you know, Sherry and Countess Shaw in particular chime mm-hmm. in on this, but um, is for that for not for there not to be a generational gap so much as a working together and a mentoring and a you know and that and that is part of you know like I know you're jumping in on visiting time but you know that was one of my things for this Bible study that I wanted specifically Sherry if she could commit to being here each time because I do feel like that's important part of God's plan is I I need someone older than me to be stepping in and making, you know, and, and helping me through. Mm-hmm. And then I'm looking at Elizabeth and saying, well, I've got to get a youngster in here. We've got to get mm-hmm. <laughs> all the generations from Elizabeth to me to share. Anyway, so I've, just anything, because we're, I know we're not going to get through our mm-hmm. chapter six in mm-hmm. time, but any last parting words on this first three chapters, then we'll do kind of a part two and get four, five, and six on the next round. But any overall lessons or tangents you want to bring out in Lex five minutes and that's it <laughs> I just noticed where you said generational gap and yes you're right and so there's not spoiling in in essence God is not expecting a generational gap right because right. if we're all doing what he has said for us to do it doesn't matter what generation that you're in mm-hmm. we're all supposed to be doing the same thing we're all supposed to be repeating mm-hmm. why because it goes back to what he said so I thought that was mm-hmm. interesting when you said that Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, go ahead, Sherry. It goes back to I just think of Deuteronomy chapter six, where he says, you know, teach this to your when children. You rise up when, when you, all the time. Oh, the teach way. it to your children because they're not going to remember mm-hmm. this stuff because it happened before they were born or happened when they were very young. So when you come to this place where there's this pile of rocks, mm-hmm. and they say, "What's this pile of rocks?" You tell them, you know, what what that meant. Right. Because otherwise they won't know. Yeah. And um, a lot of times I feel like when when younger generations fall away, it's the fault of the of the previous generation for not 
taking that uh, on. Yeah, for 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 not telling them. Mm -hmm. Because why don't they know? Right. They don't know because you didn't tell them. Mm -hmm. I mean, they can't. They couldn't have been there. So the only way for them to know is would be for you to tell them. Mm -hmm. And um, that that's one of the things I think of when I when I I've read through this series of verses so many times. Um, uh, I think that the 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 older people not only were lamenting the fact that the temple was, but they they had to have been thinking just going over the last 50 years or right. however since, since or 70 years since all this had happened. That had to be like part of their um, the poignancy of that is that you know they saw the temple when it was when it was amazing and, and now they're seeing this one being built and it's not as good but there's also a just like okay we're finally we're, we're coming back mm -hmm. yeah it's not as good as it was and just thinking about all the things that had happened in between had just had to be heartbreaking mm -hmm. yeah for those people right I appreciate all the um, the the input, all the uh, things that y'all brought out. It's been very helpful for me. Um, and like I say, we're uh, quickly hitting our time mark here, so I think next time we will finish up five, six, seven. Uh, oh, excuse me, four, four, five, four, five six, six. Excuse yeah. me, yeah, four, five, and six. And then um, I think we should be able to do seven through ten in one one sweep so um so we'll do that next time and um thank y'all and thank you countess for mm -hmm. jumping yeah. in with us um very short notice <laughs> it. appreciate it very much okay we are going to jump right in to the next section of ezra last time we covered ezra chapters one through three um which gets us through um, Jeshua and Zerubbabel coming back uh, from Babylon. Um, and just as quick overview um, before we jump in, just because it's been, we've had a pretty long break here. Um, Cyrus is the king in power at the beginning of the book who um, gives permission for uh, the Jewish people to go back and start working on the house of God in Jerusalem because of the dream he had or the vision from God um, saying this is what needs to be done. And so he sends, sends them with their blessing, uh, with blessings and it, we see um, all the, um, the things that went with him as far as the uh, specifics that were preserved from when Nebuchadnezzar had carried um, Judah away um, from Jerusalem. <clears throat> so those are all accounted for. And then chapter 2, we went through the people that were accounted for um, and specifically looking at some of those, pulling those out as to who they were um, and where we know them from. Uh, as far as other stories uh, told us previously. And then chapter 3, where we start running into uh, some conflict. Um, oh, I did want to mention uh, the beginning here in chapter 3, where 
um, it's mentioned that the Feast of Booths mm-hmm. is um, is the time frame where they're starting this work, and uh, then they run into conflict with people who, uh, if I'm remembering right, and y'all correct me if I'm wrong, I hope I'm not jumping ahead of myself, but um, where they were already in the land and they started stirring up trouble, basically um, saying, you know, we want to join you and are told no, and they um, they raise a stink about that. And that's in four, chapter one. Oh, okay, so I'm getting ahead of myself. Excuse me. Okay, sorry. Okay, so we're going to get into that today. So we left, so then we just left off with, uh, oh, with just the the people that were gathered going through the Levites. Mm-hmm. Okay, and all that. Okay, yeah, so okay, we good. We left off with, the, with the, the celebration when they finished the foundation. Yes. Some people crying and some people laughing. Yes, okay. Usually and we did, but they, the priests, okay, that was back in two, sorry where it's Barzillai and the ones who were not sure of their priesthood and all that kind of stuff. Okay. All right. And then, yeah, the foundation is, is, is built and that's all, that's all we got to. Okay. And now we're going to jump into four. Okay. Sorry for skipping ahead this morning. That's the problem when you start reading in a Bible without chapter numbers and you go over to review and you're like, yeah, it's in that section. Well, maybe I should grab a Bible with chapter Mm-hmm. Break that would help. Okay, sorry about that. Okay, so chapter four, I will get us started on um, reading through chapter four, and then we'll go through um, each chapter like we've been doing. Okay. Now, when the enemies of Judah and Benjamin heard that the people of the exile were building a temple to the Lord God of Israel, they approached Zerubbabel and the heads of the father's households and said to them, Let us build with you, for we, like you, seek your God, and we have been sacrificing to him since the days of Esaharadon, the king of Assyria, who brought us up here. But Zerubbabel and Jeshua and the rest of the heads of the father's households of Israel said to them, You have nothing in common with us in building a house to our God, but we ourselves will together build to the Lord God of Israel as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. Then the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and frightened them from building and hired counselors against them to frustrate their counsel all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, even until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, in the reign of Ahasuerus, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. And in the days of Artaxerxes, Vishlam, Mithridath, Tabil, and the rest of his colleagues wrote to Artaxerxes, king of Persia, and the text of the letter was written in Aramaic and translated from Aramaic. Rehum, the commander of Shimshai, the scribe, wrote a letter against Jerusalem to King Artaxerxes as follows. Then wrote Rehum, the the commander of Shimshai, the scribe, and the rest of their colleagues to judge, and the lesser governors, the officials, the secretaries, the men of Erech, the Babylonians, the men of Susa, that is, the Elamites, and the rest of the nations, which the great and honorable on Osnapar deported and settled in the city of Samaria and in the rest of the region beyond the river. 
Now this is the copy of the letter which they sent to him. To King Artaxerxes, your servant, the men in the region beyond the river, and now let it be known to the king that the Jews who came up from you have come to us at, is at Jerusalem. They are rebuilding the rebellious and evil city and are finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now let it be known to the king that if that city is rebuilt and the walls are finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, or toll, and it will damage the revenue of the kings. But now because we are in the service of the palace and it is not fitting for us to see the king's dishonor, therefore we have sent and informed the king so that a search may be made in the record books of your fathers and you will discover in the record books and learn that the city is a rebellious city and damaging to kings and provinces and they have incited revolt within it in past days. Therefore that city was laid waste. We inform the king that if that city is rebuilt and the walls finished, as a result, you will have no possession in the province beyond the river. Then the king sent an answer to Rehum, the commander, to Shimshai, the scribe, and to the rest of their colleagues who live in Samaria and in the rest of the provinces beyond the river. Peace. And now document which you, excuse me, and now the document which you sent to us has been translated and read before me. A decree has been issued by me, and a search has been made, and it has been discovered that the city has risen up against the kings in past days, that rebellion and revolt have been perpetrated in it, that mighty kings have ruled over Jerusalem, governing all the provinces beyond the river, and that tribute, custom, and toll were paid to them. So now issue a decree to make these men stop work that this city may not be rebuilt until a decree is issued by me. Beware of being negligent in carrying out this matter. Why should damage increase to the detriment of the kings? Then, as soon as the copy of Artaxerxes' document was read before Rehum the Shimsh and Shimshai, the scribe, and their colleagues, they went in haste to Jerusalem to the Jews and stopped them by force of arms. Then work on the house of God in Jerusalem ceased, and it was stopped until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Okay, um, so to start with, um, in this chapter, that's and I'm sorry, I was jumping ahead there. It mm -hmm. seems like you've got these people, and th so one of my questions here is, are these Jewish people... Who are upsetting this and the reason I'm asking that is because when he says you know we were sent here from the king of Assyria mm -hmm. I don't I, I'm confused as to whether or not that means they are also Jews or if uh, or, or if not if, if from another region uh, from when uh, Assyria was taking over mm -hmm. um, but Regardless, you've got these, uh, quote, local people coming in and <clears throat> wanting to seemingly help with this work um, and are told no. And it looks like their pride gets hurt by that. And so now they're going to go tattle and say, you know, look, these people are rebellious um, to the, to, is it Artaxerxes mm -hmm. here? Yeah, to Artaxerxes and call his attention to it. And then when he, you know, takes a cursory look, um, he says, oh, yeah, they do have this 
reputation of being mm-hmm. rebellious and thank you for bringing it to my attention. Let's put a stop to it now before they cause any harm. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, so that's my quick run through. What mm-hmm. um, first, if anyone wants to answer that question that I have as far as if we know whether or not they were also considered also Jewish people and then any takeaways that y'all have from chapter four. Uh, uh, I, I can answer that. I, I, he's talking about because those who were sent by the king of Assyria to that area, to the cities of Samaria, uh, were not Jews. Okay. They were, uh, the Assyrians would take people captive and then they would take other people from somewhere else and move them into that area. So um, their way of sort of keeping everyone under their thumb was to keep everyone uh, feeling displaced. Right, okay. And so, um, and mixing people together so that they didn't have a sense of nationality. Um, I mean, the best way to break up a, a any group of, you know, coherent group of people is to split them up. Right. And, uh, I mean, that's what God did at the Tower of Babel. It's like, okay, confuse their languages, they'll all go their separate ways and won't be able to accomplish anything. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so that's what the Assyrians would do. Now, the Babylonians, um, the Babylonians would uh, take people captive and just leave a very few people behind. Mm-hmm. And then the Persians would actually send people back to their lands because when the Persians took over, uh, it was it was a way bigger area, mm-hmm. and it was just too difficult to rule over an area that large without just like so they came in and uh, Darius was one of those um, very organizational kings who said okay. Here's how we're going to keep control of this. We're going to set up satrapies in these different areas, and so there'll be you know, all the way down to the local level. At the local level, there'll be people in charge who who know what to do with local things yeah. because I can't I can't micromanage all of that. Right. And so, um, so, but the Assyrians would move people around, mm-hmm. and. Um, and uh, so, so anyway, those people in Samaria in, this, in that area were not Jews. Some of them might have been um, descendants of a mixture of the people that is, that Assyria had sent, and the people that they that were left behind, which were just the poor people that just sort of, you know, tend the fields and that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. um, keep the you know wild animals from taking over, yeah. and then the people that the king of Assyria sent there, um, they sort of intermarried, so they weren't yeah. Jews. They okay. were, you know, they had, and, 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 and Assyria sort of left it in their power to figure out what the gods wanted in that area and mm-hmm. do whatever okay, to so appease is, those gods. So is that what that comment, is that where that comment comes from then? We have sacrifice to your God yeah, since right. we've sent here. Okay, yeah. so in their so minds... The people, so the, the Israelites that were, of course, they, we know, and we know the Israelites who were there at the time, mm-hmm. well, by that time, Israel wasn't really 
right. worshiping in any meaningful way. Yeah, Jehovah. Mm -hmm. um, they were mm, kind of, you know, so it was kind of a mixture of, right. you know, idol worship and Jehovah worship, and 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 so what they were worshiping was not Jehovah, right. but they thought that it, it was the God of that area. So yeah, so. Because it, it comes across to me as, you know, these the, the people coming back and these people who are already here looking over and going, oh, okay, well, those are, you know, like those are the people to get in with mm -hmm. and kind of make political connections right. with. And when that was turned down, right. they were like, okay, well, we got to yeah. put it into this. Yes. Well, and, and think about... Um, in Jesus' day, mm -hmm. um, Jesus' conversation with the woman at the well right. um, mentions that very thing. She says, you know, well, you people say that you're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but we worship on this mountain. Mm -hmm. And in her mind, she was saying, well, what's the difference? Yeah. We worship Yahweh mm -hmm. on this mountain, and y'all worship Yahweh in Jerusalem, so what's the difference? Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's what so doing. that that continued for hundreds and hundreds of years, yeah. um, being sort of a hybrid religion where they brought in other things and tried to make it like a ecumenical mm -hmm. type uh, arrangement so that they could sort of cover all the bases. <clears throat> okay, thank you I for clearing that, that up. Yes, if I can just yeah, interject something real quick. I think it it makes sense to me why they would you know, refuse their help if they weren't Jewish. But I've had to think through this a little bit more because if I remember correctly, when Solomon was building the first temple, he had outside help from pagan nations. Mm -hmm. And you could say that, you know, they have not, they don't necessarily have a part in building a temple to God. And I don't know, it just seemed kind of unnecessarily harsh. Like, <laughs> oh, you don't have anything to do with us. Because, like, I feel like the people who are offering help were sincere and even mm -hmm. though they might have been misguided about who God was, they had some interest mm -hmm. in right. being helpful. I don't know. I just feel like there might have been a better way to go about this. Like, hey, thanks, but, like, this is kind of our thing. Like, well, you don't have to shun them. So, And this is, I mean, obviously this is, we're stepping a little bit into opinionated areas. But to me, I mean, from what I can tell, patternly, you know, if you will, um, from the scriptures, <clears throat> and like even a few chapters, or I mean, you know, at the beginning of this book where it's, you know, you're accepting this help to go back mm -hmm. home, it's with the understanding that you are, you are aiding in this to allow us to do what we what we need to do and how we need to do it. And my my um, inkling or my my wondering is if these people are not as on the up and up on that as I mean as if it's it's not as purely motivated, I don't right. think would be my guess. And I mean, you know, Sherry, your thoughts on that as well. But it, it, later we're gonna see that too with Ezra again where you've got a, a pagan source where it's accepted of, yes, I'll take your help, but then there's the example where 
it's, you know, no, I've said I will trust in God and I refuse. So Mm -hmm. I do think there's a discernment there and I, I, I'm not wise enough to like draw the exact line on where that is, but I do think there is a differentiation Mm -hmm. and, and there is a time when it's acceptable to take from you know base sources if you will mm-hmm. and there's a time when someone wants to join in a work hand in hand and it has to and they have to be told no you know and I and I say that to say for myself I'm trying to look through scripture and say when when is that different when mm-hmm. is it appropriate to say no you do not have a part in this mm-hmm. and when is it appropriate to say yes thank you and praise God for your, you know, even though we are obviously not on the same page. That makes mm-hmm. sense? Because I, I mean, we see both examples. Yeah. So yeah. did you have thoughts because, on that? Because, you know, when Solomon, so when Solomon accepted, accepted timber from uh, Tyre and, and Tyre mm-hmm. and Sidon, when they built the temple, that's also where they got the right. timber because that's where you got it. Mm-hmm. I mean, and so, uh, I think it was less about having the surrounding nations help them build the temple and design it and and figure out you know how to worship in it and that type of thing, and more about just getting the resources from you know right. the best sources. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Um, and also, at the time of the return, I think they were, in, so- in Solomon's day, they were kind of, especially Solomon himself, was kind of moving away from keeping everything Jewish. Mm-hmm. Um, and when the people were coming back from captivity, they were not doing that mm-hmm. because they saw what happened right. when they did that. Mm-hmm. And so I think they were hyper making sure, I mean, because you know, we looked at the list of names and it's like, okay, you can't prove you're a priest, right. in priesthood, even though you say you are. Uh, we can't chance it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so they were, they were going by the letter, and they had learned their lesson that you start, you know, mingling around with the people of the land, and pretty soon you're worshiping idols. Mm-hmm. And they were not doing that anymore. Yeah. Now we're going to see at the end of this, or at the end of the Book of Ezra, mm-hmm. <laughs> they're kind of starting to intermarry with the people. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, but at this point, they're just hypersensitive about straying from the pattern. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that's, I think that's probably wise. Yes. Right. You know? Yeah. And I, well, and I, I almost think of it in a, and, and I don't know if this is the right parallel to draw mm-hmm. here. In my mind, this is what it seems like. If, you know, if I'm going to make a present day analogy Mm -hmm. of how I would, you know, say yes to this one thing, say no to this other thing. You know, if someone, if if there is 
a religiously minded, in quotes, um, person coming up to me and said, hey, I, I also, you know, I, I believe in Jesus as the Son of God. I would love to help you with X ministry, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, going out to knock on doors and preach the gospel. Well, I would have to turn that down before I knew what, she, what he or she meant by preach the gospel, mm-hmm. you know, versus somebody sees some, you know, good work that Northwood is, you know, that, that sees something in Northwood Church, mm-hmm. appreciates it, and says, I would like to make a donation. Well, I don't know that I would feel wrong about saying, well, thank you for, you know, contributing to the work at Northwood. You know, I don't know. And again, I don't know if that's, I don't know if I'm right in that, but to me, that seems like the parallel of someone saying, I appreciate what you're doing. Let me support you in that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. And off we go, you know, versus someone who wants to join hand in hand. Mm -hmm. But we we aren't on the same page of who Jehovah actually is and what he requires of us. Mm -hmm. Or... Or someone who wants to um, financially support your work, and there's a string attached. Yeah, right. To me, to me, that's that's the difference. Yeah. is the string attached. Like the right. difference between just getting resources and then having someone kind of involved in your doctrine or something. Right. Yeah. Okay. Like right. Where, right. Yeah. Like for that previous example, somebody who says, "I would like to make a donation. Here's what I want you to do with it." Right. Okay, well, yeah. now yeah. I'm going to have to decline. You know what I'm saying? So, anyway, like I said, I don't know if I'm right in that. And just from what I'm seeing, to me, it seems like that's the parallel for what might happen today and where mm-hmm. I would say yes on one and no to the other. Mm-hmm. So, anyway. But, yeah, that was just a that part of, the, of Chapter 4 stood out to me of just a nuance there on, you know, okay, what exactly is going on there? Sorry to get us a little rabbit hole. No, that's okay. <laughs> no, I, well, and that's one of the things I really yeah. love about these mm-hmm. studies. Um, okay, so I, I think they're I think they're beneficial rabbit holes. So, okay, um, anything else that stood out uh, to either of you from chapter four um, lessons or uh, just things that uh, were interesting to you on this read through? I had a note about the letter that mm-hmm. they sent to the king um, when they're like, hey, go look in your records and you need to see that these guys are like super rebellious and stuff. Um, but then completely disregarding that Cyrus's edict sending them back would be in those same records. I was just wondering what y'all thought if this was an intentional omission that they're intentionally trying to make the Israelites look super bad or if they just like didn't know like they would they have been far enough removed for it to be ignorance or was it probably malicious um good question good question i thought that too um uh, it's possible that i mean it's possible that they didn't know that cyrus made this decree um and it's also possible that they didn't they just didn't mention it because they didn't, you know. Um, but, um, you know, I, I think they were far enough removed geographically, and it wasn't like you could just look back at the emails and 
find it, you know, or like you could see it on Facebook and go, okay, well, the, you know, Cyrus made this decree. Well, if he made a decree that didn't really have anything to do with you, then why would he have to tell you? Um, and so it's possible that they didn't know um, that Cyrus had made the decree, um, but, um, but it's, also, it's also possible that they just, they were just sour grapes because <laughs> yeah, I think either way, yeah. you know, no, knowledge yeah. or ignorance, there to me it seems that their goal was to tattle, and mm-hmm. that's what they did. You know, I right. mean, and and they, and they yeah. may have known, they may not have known about Cyrus, but I think the whole point of it seems to be, well, they they told us we couldn't play, so, so now we're gonna take sure revenge on. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. tell mom. Yeah, exactly. The gate wash on the whole thing. Right. So, yeah. Uh, anything else from Chapter 4 before we go through Chapter 5? Anybody want to bring up? Um, I, I just uh, will keep this in the back of our mind when we, when we get to um, when we get to the end of this section uh, where there actually is another letter sent but it's a more favorable letter. Right. So it's just, you know, part of that symmetry. Okay. All right. And Elizabeth, do you mind reading for us uh, chapter five? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them supporting them. At the same time, Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shaphar Bozani and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish the structure? They also asked them this, What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report could reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning it. This is a copy of the letter that Tatnai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shaphar Bozni and his associates, the governors who were in the province beyond the river, sent to Darius the king. They sent him a report in which was written as follows, To Darius the king, all peace. Be it known to the king that when that we went to the province of Judah, to the house of the great God, it is being built with huge stones, and its and timber is laid in the walls. This work goes on diligently and prospers in their hands. Then we asked those elders and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish the structure? We also asked them their names for your information that we might write down the names of their leaders. This was their reply to us. We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth, and we are rebuilding the house that was built many years ago, which a great king of Israel built and finished. But because our fathers had angered the God of heaven, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried away the people to Babylonia. However, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Babylon, Cyrus the king made a decree that this house of God should be rebuilt. 
and the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple that was in Jerusalem and brought into the temple of Babylon. These Cyrus the king took out of the temple of Babylon, and they were delivered to one whose name was Sheshbazzar, whom he had made governor. And he said to them, Take these vessels, go, and put them in the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be rebuilt on its site. Then this Sheshbazzar came and laid the foundations of the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And from that time until now, it has been in building and it is not yet finished. Therefore, if it seems good to the king, let search be made in the royal archives there in Babylon to see whether a decree was issued by Cyrus the king for the rebuilding of this house of God in Jerusalem. Let the king send us his pleasure in the matter. Okay, so... This is not helpful rabbit hole to go down, but it, you know, as, as we're reading through that, it occurs to me, why did they not send that reply or that type of letter or whatever when they were told to stop, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the first round when the mm-hmm. tattletales went, like, mm-hmm. you know, anyway, but like mm-hmm. I said, that's not a helpful uh, rabbit hole, so we won't mm-hmm. go down that one. Um Back at the beginning of chapter 5, where it starts off, um, when the prophets Haggai and Zechariah prophesied to the Jews um, that basically they needed to, why are you, why have you stopped? Um, and encouraging them to get back to the work. Mm-hmm. Um, th- that's kind of where I wanted to start with this section of, you know, just y'all's thoughts on that, just uh, so many, to me, so many lessons jump out from that of one, the need for encouragement Mm -hmm. to stay after the work or get back to the work, you know, um, that that we obviously still need now, and two, uh, just the, I mean, I just, I see this so often in my mind, the ease of distraction of once you've stopped the momentum of, oh yeah, we've got to, you know, once you quit, how easy it is to get totally out of the habit, you know, of, you know, like we read about in the New Testament, your conscience being seared, um, and, and just to get forgetful about what we're supposed to be about. So anyway, those are just a couple of the ones that popped out to me from that first section. Anything, what, what popped out for y'all either in that first section or the rest that was kind of where I focused a lot on that chapter um, okay so um, it's interesting because um, I was reading in Bob Waldron's um, commentary on this um, <laughs> and here's what he says it seems that the Jews gave up very easily on the first occasion <laughs> why did they not write a letter to Cambyses oh, and yes. to the decree of Cyrus's father Sherry <laughs> Okay, fine. They're not going to let us, whatever. 
let's do something else. Right. Mm -hmm. And um, so, but once Haggai and Zechariah uh, encouraged them uh, to get busy back building the house, um, they didn't actually send a letter and ask permission and then start back building. Right. They started back building. Yeah. And then Tatanai, the governor, who was a different guy mm -hmm. uh, by, the, by this time, said, what are y'all doing? Mm -hmm. um, I wonder if this is on the up and up. And so he sends a letter back. Basically, his letter is just saying, is this okay? Right. He's not saying it's not okay. He's right. just saying, uh, give me some give me some direction on this. Mm -hmm. it should, should we let it go on or should we? And um, so that's, so he's actually honestly asking, okay, I'm the governor of this area and so this is kind of my responsibility. So this is going on, is this okay? Mm -hmm. And um, and so it's a more honest look and, 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 and the, but the people have, have gone ahead and started, started on building mm -hmm. without asking for permission they were just like Haggai and Zachariah said do it and they said okay let's do it and and uh, and then Tad and I sends the letter um, uh, and so you know by the end of the chapter uh, basically it's interesting to me that they that both letters are quoted <laughs> exactly and so um, um, it's just um, and Tad and I is asking Cyrus, is asking that they look back because he's saying, this is what they're saying. Mm -hmm. They're saying Cyrus gave them permission to do this. Look back in the record and see if that's the case. Right. And sure enough, yeah. you know, as we'll see in the next chapter, sure enough, you know, that was the case. Yeah. Anything from you, Elizabeth, um, on your notes? I guess something that I've mentioned a couple times before but I just, I don't know, I really like it. What really stands out to me is when in the letter they're quoting the reasons that um, the Israelites gave for, like, why this has all happened. Mm -hmm. They readily acknowledge, you know, hey, our forefathers uh, sinned against heaven, against God, they angered him, that's why we were over in Babylon, and that's why we had to come back. And... Um, it just really shows that the captivity accomplished its purpose in the sense that it created a genuine repentance, genuine change of heart. Um, made me think of something Seth said recently, or it may have been Alexander, anyways, about how when someone's fallen away, you know, you say, I hope they hit rock bottom soon. Where yeah. if, it, if you need to go that low to turn back to God, you want that to happen as quickly as possible and for them it took not just 70 years hundreds of years leading up to it for them to figure out hey we messed up yeah but um just seeing the genuine repentance that just kind of is a major thread through all of this where they recognize what happened and then they're trying to do better and that makes a little bit more sense with the beginning of chapter four where they they're trying to do better so they're going to reject any help that might sway them from that goal that makes a lot more sense now mm -hmm. so and I mean uh, so 
this to me is so reminiscent their answer that you were talking about um, of people like Stephen you know when we get to the New Testament and where he's you know going back to Moses and says hey look remember our history and you know I'm, I know this speaks to your history heart especially but it, it just impresses upon me you know when you see people godly people in their strongest it's when their focus is where it ought to be which is God has done fill in the blank to get us to here you know and that's when it seems like people are thinking and seeing the most clearly is not when you know it's what are we going to do because right now here's the trouble it's okay remind ourselves what has God done up until now like what has the history been not so we can be some amazing history buff but so that our trust and our faith is where it ought to be um, and that is I love like you were saying their response here of who are you we are the people of God of heaven you know um, and so anyway I just I appreciated that of chapter 5 um, chapter 6 um, or, or excuse me, is there anything else from chapter 5 before we read through the fix? Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, <clears throat> I can't think of anything. Okay. Mm-hmm. We got everything covered. Okay. Just uh, um, interesting that the, at, the, at the very beginning of chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, that sort of, you know, if we're looking at this. As a, as a chiastic structure, that's the climax, is Haggai and Zechariah. Um, and it only covers two verses in this, mm-hmm. in this, but, but then, then, then it goes, then the chiasm goes back the other direction, there's another letter, and then, and then at the end, they're going to go ahead and, um, and finish building the temple, but, um, but just the climax of it is, and the turning point is Haggai and Zechariah encouraging them to start back up again. Mm-hmm. And then from there, it just you know, goes down the other direction. And I have not looked into Nehemiah enough to know, is there a reference there as well? To, or do you know of mm-hmm. Haggai and Zechariah? I was just curious. I don't think so. Okay. All right. Um, okay. So chapter 6, we'll, uh, Sherry, if you don't mind reading through chapter 6 for us. Then Darius the king made a decree, and search was made in Babylonia in the house of the archives where the documents were stored. And in Ekatana, the citadel that is in the province of Media, a scroll was found on which this was written, a record. In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree. Concerning the house of God at Jerusalem, let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits, and its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury, and also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. Now therefore, Tadanai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethbezer, excuse me, Shethar Bozanai, and your associates, the governors, 
who are in the provinces, province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep's, sheep for the burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require. Let that be given to them day, day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. Then, according to the word sent by Darius, the king Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozani, and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. On the 14th day of the month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests, and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them, so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. Okay. There's so many wonderful things in this chapter. Um, to start, back when we, you know, going back to chapter 5, where we had started with the Feast of Booths, mm -hmm. and then now we are finishing sort of this unit with the Passover um, and observing that. Um, again, that's, I, I know we mentioned this last time, but that is something that I want to get a better grasp on of um, calendar-wise, how those um, feasts uh, lay through the years of the uh, Jewish calendar. Mm -hmm. um, and it, it just out of pure curiosity, but that does help us with time stamps a little bit. And I'm sure that's a, a lot of why that's put in there. Mm -hmm. 
Um, but also, this is just a ridiculous hot take, but I love the King Zeal about taking the... <laughs> impaling the, the one who doesn't do what they, they all, what's yeah. been commanded. I just thought that was so wonderful. I was like, yeah. I just love eccentric people. Um, <laughs> so anyway, but um, I didn't mean to jump in there ahead of y'all. What what um, noticings did y'all have from chapter six? What things stood out to y'all? What did y'all appreciate about this last chapter? I feel like the message of... Uh, mind your business yeah. would have been a little bit more appropriate for the the people who came up in chapter four right um just i i really appreciate how it's like hey don't mess with these guys they they have a right to be here um they're doing doing a good thing and i think that zeal kind of carries over not just for the punishment of people who try to stop them but mm-hmm. um the full like it's the endorse support endorsement of yeah. the king for them to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Sherry. Yep. Um, so. So, we're going back down the down the the chiasm here. So we had the the turning point uh, in chapter five, verses one and two. Then the opposition in the rest of chapter five, which is the letter. Um, now we've got the response of the king, um, which corresponds to the response previously, uh, and then and then you have building is completed, which corresponds to the foundation that was completed, and then you have the feast, mm-hmm. which corresponds to the feast of booths that they celebrated at the, at the beginning. Um, and so that stands out to me. Also, that um, like you were saying, that Darius uh, seems to um, be very zealous in making sure that they not only let the Jews do their work, but also help them by giving them money. <laughs> um, uh, he's basically saying instead of paying your tribute to me, just use the money that you would pay as tribute and give it to them. Mm-hmm. And let them, that's what we're gonna use the tribute money for. Yeah. Building that house and getting it all set up. And um, so, um, uh, basically completely the opposite of the first letter uh, the response to the first letter, you know, stop the building. Yes, you're right. They're rebellious people. And now he's saying, um, uh, no, not only not only let them do it, but help them out however they, give them whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Basically, give them, give them the animals for sacrifices, whatever. Just keep, just keep pouring them on. Yeah. And whatever tribute money you would pay to me, just, just use it for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, then it's finished, and then they celebrate the Passover at the exact time that they're supposed to celebrate the Passover, um, at the exact time of year, um, uh, the first month, the 14th day of the month, I believe, mm-hmm. um, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which comes right after the, the Passover starts the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And um, 
And so they do that. And so they're, at this point, they're keeping the law like they're supposed to keep it. Like Moses had said, in fact, I think that, that Moses is mentioned uh, earlier, yes, as it is written in the book of Moses. Um, uh, and that's in reference to all the different animal sacrifices that they were supposed to make. Um, and so, um, so this is like a very positive end to this section um, that, you know, the, the, the temple, the foundation was finished and then it was a while and then now the temple is finished and so now they can go ahead and celebrate the Passover feast because they have all the stuff that they're supposed to have in order to accomplish that. Mm -hmm. And um, um, so, yeah, and, and the Unleavened Bread Feast is a seven-day feast um, which follows the Passover, the feast of the Passover. If you, if you, um, there's a book um, that's called Messiah in the Feasts that is written by a Messianic Jew um, that is has been very helpful to me. It goes through all of the feasts, um, all the seven feasts, and what their significance is and how it's related to the Messiah. The, Messi the Messiah is in all of the feasts. Mm -hmm. And um, it's, been, it's been a really, we, did, we, we studied it um, as a ladies group at East Side um, several years ago, and uh, it was Lisa Willeen who, who recommended it, and and uh, and it's it, it was a really it was a really good uh, study. I learned a lot about the feasts and what and, and, uh, not only how that they were celebrated at the time, but how they're celebrated now, mm -hmm. even though it's been fulfilled. Right. Um, the Jews, you know, basically. Messiah is in all those feasts. Yeah. Right? They don't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, but he shows, goes through and shows this is obviously pointing towards Jesus. That is amazing. And, uh, that is, that um, sounds like a really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Study. It was really interesting. Yeah. Um, and um, this is getting close to um, the book of Esther and there'll be another feast then added right? Um, because of that yep. situation. That's perfect. Oh, mm -hmm. that's a wonderful transition. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so um, the only other thing that I'm at the end here that uh, I appreciated so deeply is in the last verse uh, where he says, uh, Let's see, the Lord, for the Lord had caused them to rejoice and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to encourage them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. It, it, it is, like you were saying before, it ends on such a positive note, and it's such a precious way to re, just reestablish and reaffirm the, the hope of those who genuinely and fully put their trust in God that regardless of, of the 
outward circumstances, and I think back to Jeremiah too, in very different circumstances, has the same hope that whatever the outcome, those who are putting their trust in, in God, he is watching over them. He will take care of them, you know, even if it is in dire and difficult circumstances. And in this, you know, circumstance, it's the, you know, look, he has he taken care of the heart of the Assyrian king to look favorably upon God's children. Mm-hmm. That's not always going to be the case, but there is always that, that contentment and that satisfaction that God has been, he is, and he forever will be in control. And there is that, that peace that passeth all understanding, you know, that, that you can strongly and securely rest in that. Um, but anyway, that last verse stood out to me mm-hmm. from that standpoint of the just the strength that comes from that. And again, going into Esther, I feel like you see that over again, mm-hmm. where here's a very unlikely candidate mm-hmm. for someone to stand strong mm-hmm. in the Lord, but she finds the strength to mm-hmm. stand because that's where she puts her trust in. Mm-hmm. So, and not to get too far into that, mm-hmm. but that is a good segue mm-hmm. into uh, the next setting that we'll do in Lutherland next week. So, any other offerings just from the, the section as a whole of the first part of Ezra? Anything else that stands out? Okay, well, I've enjoyed that. I thought that was really helpful. Uh, next week, hopefully, we will be able to go through the book of Esther and then mm-hmm. after that, pick back up with the rest mm-hmm. of Ezra.